Since the day after their wildcard loss in San Francisco, the Seahawks have made a conscious effort to do whatever they can to catch up with the 49ers in the NFC West. Have they done enough this offseason? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating on a new Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s and everydayers out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got the NFL schedule coming out on Thursday night. We're going to be diving into which opponents on Seattle's docket have improved the most this offseason and which teams maybe didn't get the job done during free agency and the draft and regressed the most. Plus, we'll have Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn joining us to break down Derek Hall on the field and off the field, what he's bringing to the Seattle Seahawks. A jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit BetterHelp.com slash on today to get 10% off your first month. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. One day after the Seahawks' 2022 season ended with a third loss to the 49ers, in San Francisco in a wild card round, Pete Carroll was blunt about where his team needed to improve to be able to catch up with their rivals in the NFC West, saying they needed to get more dynamic along the defensive line and emphasizing the need for toughness. It's clearly evident that those two things have been major focal points this offseason, along with adding more firepower to the offensive side of the football. And here we are now, Rob, almost to mid-May, Rookie minicamp is looming in the near future. OTA is coming up. Mandatory minicamp will be long. It'll be training camp, and we're going to be preparing for a new season. Most of the hay is in the barn when it comes to roster building for this upcoming season. The big question is, have the Seahawks done enough? Have they been able to get their mission accomplished here to go from being a fringe playoff team to being a true contender that can battle with the 49ers for NFC West supremacy? Well, I think that they certainly have narrowed the gap. Uh, I don't know that they have overcome the that gap um, that they had along the line of scrimmage, especially against the San Francisco 49ers. But I, I think they did it in such an untraditional way, Corbin. And, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the Seahawks made it a, a public, uh, you know, kind of pronouncement that they wanted to get bigger, stronger, more physical along the line of scrimmage. That's where they struggled so much against San Francisco. And they have gotten better along the line of scrimmage. But San Francisco has also dropped off significantly um, along the line of scrimmage and more importantly at some of the other key uh, positions along the rest of the roster. So, again, I do think that Seattle has narrowed the gap. And you hit on it um, by by adding some weapons for Geno Smith. I mean, when you add a, a player as dynamic as I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be, then I think that that is certainly going to 
you know, make your offense that much more dynamic. And as good as San Francisco is at slowing down opponents running games, they were a little bit vulnerable to opposing passing attacks if you could protect the quarterback. And again, that's one of the things that you, obviously the 49ers still have guys like Bosa. They still have guys like Armstead and they brought in Javon Hargrave, which is, a huge, huge thing for the 49ers and boosting their defense. So again, that's why I have a hard time with, with saying that the Seahawks are going have made this huge jump uh, and narrow, completely narrowed the gap between they and the 49ers. But and I apologize for that announcement there in the background. Um, but I, at the same time, Corbin, I, I really think that the loss of some of the other players on San Francisco's defense, the fact that they lost both of their safeties, the fact that they lost Samson Ibukam, they lost uh, Charles Amenahu. I mean, those are some of the critical elements that made that San Francisco defense so dynamic a year ago. Yeah, I think that some of those personnel losses have to be accounted for here. And certainly we can mention that that's something that maybe brings the 49ers down a peg. But I love that you pointed out the fact that Seattle did, to some extent, knock the ball out of the park when it comes to trying to rebuild their defensive line. They did add juice. Draymond Jones is a guy that's had at least five and a half sacks each of the last three years. There's a reason they paid him the money that they did in free agency because he is going to bring that juice that they did not have rushing the passer from the interior last year. And that by default should help all of the edge rushers have more success getting after the quarterback. And I think Mike Morris is a fifth round pick playing in the inside at 295 300 pounds. I think he's got a chance to be an instant contributor that gives you some juice in the pass rushing department. So I do think that they're more dynamic with the players that they have at the defensive end positions. Of course, on the flip side, you've got Cameron Young, your fourth round pick, and who else is going to play nose right now? They don't have any of their big bodied guys that they've preferred at that position. Even Young himself is only 305 pounds. He's still a very large man, but this is not an Al Woods or a Brian Monet who is coming off of an ACL injury. And those injury concerns, Jordan Brooks is trying to come back from a knee injury as well. There are more question marks still on the defensive side of the football. And I feel like the nose tackle position and just in general, the lack of experience and size, that is still the biggest gap that the Seahawks have to overcome. And they don't have the financial freedom right now to go out and get a veteran that they can sign to a contract to bring in and bolster the middle of that defensive line. And so that is still, to me, the one thing that is holding this team back or could hold this team back from being able to catch the 49ers. But I do feel like there are a lot of reasons for optimism away from that. Adding a player like Jackson Smith and Jigba to an already loaded offense. Charbonnet to go with Ken Walker the third. They expect that their run game is going to be better with the new center and right guards they're going to have in the lineup. There's a lot of things that are going for this football team. They added toughness, grit, and leadership in spades on both sides of the football. So I, I feel like they did a lot this offseason that they needed to accomplish to really draw closer to the 49ers. I'm just hesitant to say that they've closed the gap because San Francisco still got such an incredible defensive line. I have reservations about what pass protection is going to look like, and especially with two new starters in the interior of that offensive line. And you've just got enough injury questions on defense with Jordan Brooks, Brian Monet. What does Jamal Adams look like coming back from the torn quad tendon? All of that uncertainty that's clouding over this defense still, even after free agency in the draft, 
That is why I'm hesitant to say that they have made up enough ground to win this division. Not that they couldn't get it done. I expect that they're going to be an improved football team, but San Francisco is still loaded on a number of fronts. And I just don't know that they've done enough. They still feel like they might be a year away from really drawing even or even surpassing the 49ers. Yeah, I, I agree with you, at least along the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, again, I think the 49ers had such a huge uh, head start uh, on Seattle in, in that regard. And even though they lost some good players, again, they they brought in some very good ones. Again, with, with Hargrave being one of the most dominant players, losing the right tackle, Mike McGlinchey, is a big loss for the 49ers. I, I know that it kind of became a joke around, around Seattle, but it certainly was not in, in Santa Clara and San Francisco, the, the revolving door at the quarterback position. You know, you, you now are, are bringing in a guy like, uh, you know, Sam Darnold to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, I, I've been a big fan of Sam Darnold. And, of course, we both know that, you know, what a, a terrific job that uh, Kyle Shanahan has done of, of developing quarterbacks, of, uh, of helping guys, um, you know, wind up having very successful careers or very successful seasons, whether it be at the quarterback or running back position. And, of course, this is going to be the first full year that Christian McCaffrey is going to be on Seattle or San Francisco's roster the entire course of the season, rather than just kind of jumping into the team halfway through the season is the way he did, uh, or early in the season is the way he did a year ago. All of those things to me are why San Francisco still is comfortably ahead of the Seahawks. But again, I do think that that gap has narrowed a little bit just because I think the Seattle is a more dynamic offense. I think they have a better pass rush. And again, I think the 49ers are a little bit more vulnerable there at the right tackle position, and again, who, who knows what's going to happen at quarterback for them. But their front seven is so dominant. Uh, their running game is so dominant. That's why I do believe that right now, if you had to ask me who is going to win the division, the NFC West, I still would start the conversation with the 49ers before I even really thought too much about the Seahawks, even though, again, I do believe that the Seahawks have made uh, some uh, improvement in terms of narrowing that gap. I do think that the quarterback position is still an area where the Seahawks have a major advantage. Now, of course, if Brock Purdy gets back from this elbow injury 100% and he's ready to go, we saw what he did in this offense last year. And maybe Sam Darnold figures things out with Kyle Shanahan, who's truly been a quarterback whisperer, finding ways to, doesn't matter who's behind center, they've been able to find ways to move the football score a lot of points. They got a lot of weapons for whoever is playing the quarterback position. But I do feel like Geno Smith over the quarterbacks the 49ers have right now, that does give the Seahawks an advantage there. If they even make slight improvements in the trenches, that should give them a better chance to draw even. But I would agree with you. This still feels like it is the 49ers division here in mid-May. Coming up next, the NFL schedule will be revealed on Thursday night. Which teams on Seattle's schedule have improved the most in the last couple of months and which teams have dropped the ball and regressed over the past couple of months during free agency in the draft? Rob and I are going to be dishing out our top three in both categories coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you when you least expect it, so it's important to show yourself through it all and put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself and has a special offer 
for their listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening across the country in New York or you're listening south in Texas. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, we were planning to talk about Anthony Bradford today, but we will push that to tomorrow as we'll look at the hawking 334-pound guard and where the fourth-round pick may fit into Seattle's plans in the trenches in 2023 and beyond. So you want to make sure that you are listening in to tomorrow's live episode to hear on the latest LSU guard to find his way to Seattle. Let's talk scheduling now, Rob, here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks slated, obviously, for 17 games. They will be playing nine of them on the road this year. It's going to alternate that way next year. They'll have nine home games. Probably not going to be playing an international game this year, but now that we have seen what has transpired in free agency in the draft, we can really take a step back and evaluate upcoming opponents. And I want to talk about the teams that have done the most to improve themselves this offseason. And I think you and I are in agreement, and maybe this will surprise our listeners, but I think we are in agreement on which upcoming opponent has done the most for themselves in free agency and the draft. Well, at least for me, that would be the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I just think that what they have done with uh, Georgia North um, has just been remarkable. Um, you know, I now I certainly think that uh, the Howie Roseman has, has acquired a lot of players that that also could kind of blow up in his face. I mean, we, we have seen this happen sometimes, Corbin, where you get players who have a great deal of individual talent, but they struggle to kind of come together. That's one of the reasons why I love what the Eagles did, because most of the ridiculously talented players that they brought in, of course, played together at the University of Georgia the last two years, bringing some national champions, uh, two national back-to-back national championships to happen. So, uh, you know, whether it be the big man that we talk so much about, a Jalen Carter, whether it be a player like a Nolan Smith, whether it be a player like a Keeley Ringo, I mean, they, they just had so many very, very talented players that happened to be positions of either premium value, like edge rusher, like defensive tackle, or are guys that can provide immediate impact potential. And that's where I want to kind of switch for a moment to former Seahawks running back Rashad Penny. I'm excited about all the talent that Philadelphia brought in. But to me, Rashad Penny is one of those guys that, you know, there is zero risk factor to him. And he, of course, Seahawks fans know, has as much boom potential to him as just about anybody available. So to me, that the conversation begins with the Philadelphia Eagles. And they also just traded for DeAndre Swift, another yeah. former Georgia player, getting him for peanuts from the Lions. And we saw what he could do. He was averaging almost eight yards per carry before he got injured midway through last season. And so you put him and Rashad Penny together, and they're paying way less for those two players than what the Carolina Panthers are going to be paying for Miles Sanders, who was the starting running back the last couple of years for the Eagles. They've still got a dominant offensive line. They've still got a dominant pass rush, and they've added all these 
interesting pieces in the draft. He said there's some boomer bust there with some of the character stuff, especially for Jalen Carter. But if all these guys play to their potential, this is a locker room that is built to handle that. So I'm in agreement with you. I think the Eagles, in terms of overall talent, is scary because they made the Super Bowl, almost won the Super Bowl last year, but they did so much to help themselves in free agency as well as the draft. I want to stay in the state of Pennsylvania, though, for my second pick. And this is maybe the one that will surprise our listeners because they didn't make any splashy signings in the agency necessarily. But for me, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are a very close second in terms of most improved opponents on Seattle's schedule. I absolutely loved the draft that they have. They go out, speaking of Georgia players, they get Broderick Jones, a really good tackle to upgrade that offensive line and protect Kenny Pickett, who, oh, by the way, really turned it on in the second half of the season of his rookie year and has got a chance to have a breakout sophomore campaign in that offense with some of the weapons they've got around him. They get Joey Porter Jr., a player that I was not as high on as some people, but getting him late first, early second, that is great value to add to that secondary, playing where his dad was a star for so many years. Keanu Benton was one of my favorite defensive tackles. They added him to their line to go with Cam Hayward. I mean, I just loved the draft they had. You bring in a veteran like Patrick Peterson that can coach up, mentor Joey Porter Jr. They've got some other pieces that they added the offensive line. Isaac Smalo coming over from the Eagles to add some muscle and toughness. I, I just love what they did. I felt like they really attacked the line of scrimmage. They got some really good rookies that I think can come in. Corey Trice Jr., another corner that could play some snaps for them right away. I just love their overall offseason. And you know that Mike Tomlin could coach. And so the Steelers are my second most improved team. And I think that's going to be a very tough game for the Seahawks on their schedule this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, that Pittsburgh kind of returned to, to who they have been for so long. I mean, they, they were kind of like the, you know, they were one of those franchises that you always kind of looked at as like being one of the tough guy teams, you know, the the, the blue collar kind of, uh, of of teams. And this is a draft that I think that kind of reflects that. Um, you just uh, explained or, or just listed a whole bunch of the players that they selected. Again, the tackle, Broderick Jones in the first round, the corner, Joey Porter, obviously, um, you know, the, the son of the Steelers' great edge rusher, uh, Keanu Benton, the defensive lineman from Wisconsin. But to me, it's the next three picks that I really thought kind of just reinforced what Pittsburgh has always uh, been. The big tight end, Darnell Washington from Georgia. I mean, my goodness, has there ever been a tight end that physically looks more like what you think about when they get Pittsburgh Steelers and Darnell Washington? Uh, you know, Nick Herbig, the, the edge rusher um, from Wisconsin. Of course, the, the Steelers know a little bit about uh, edge rushers from the Badgers with TJ Watt becoming obviously, obviously a superstar for them. Uh, and then you mentioned Corey Trice, one of the, the corners that you and I were most excited about in, ter in terms of what he could, uh, how he projected so well to Seattle's scheme. Um, I, well, Pittsburgh has struggled at cornerback for so long to get two of the most physical long arm corners in this draft. Again, in the very, very top of the second round, literally number 32 overall with Joey Porter Jr. to come back with Corey Trice later on seventh round, I thought was truly one of the possible steals of this class. So, yeah, I love that one. And I'll quickly transition to another team that, again, I just thought that blue collar wise, I don't love 
the draft value that I thought the Detroit Lions got. I just love the physicality and the toughness um, that they got. And, uh, you know, again, I don't love the draft value. You and I argued a little bit about the Iowa linebacker, Jack Campbell. You know, and I certainly don't believe that uh, Jameer Gibbs was worthy of a top 15 pick in terms of draft value, Corbin. But I do feel like a middle linebacker is more likely to be able to come in and make an immediate impact. So the Lions might be able to get a lot of immediate play out of Campbell. And the same thing with Gibbs, running back and inside linebacker. Those are the two positions that are typically easiest to come into the NFL and make an immediate impact. So all those people who are critical of Detroit, be careful because the Lions could be roaring this upcoming season. I'm going to go with the Panthers for my last team on my most improved. And by default, you had the number one overall pick. You get Bryce Young, who most viewed as the best quarterback, the, the best, most polished quarterback prospect coming out. So you get him. Frank Reich, who I thought got put in a tough spot in Indianapolis with some of the personnel decisions they made. I think he's a very good coach, can coach up quarterbacks. I like him with Bryce Young. And you bring in a veteran receiver and Adam Thielen, who I still think has a lot left in the tank that can be that security blanket for Bryce Young. They got Miles Sanders so they can lean on their run game. It's already a really good defense with Brian Burns and J.C. Horn headlining that group. So I just think Carolina, and that division especially, they already beat the Seahawks last year. This is a team that I think has a chance to be able to compete for a division title in a wide-open NFC South right away with Bryce Young. So they're on my list for most improved. As far as teams that regress the most, our listeners are going to enjoy this because we're going to be talking a lot about the NFC West. That's a reality. I think two teams in the NFC West that had rough years last year had even rougher off seasons. And I got to start with the Arizona Cardinals topping my list as the most regressed team in the NFL. They haven't gotten rid of DeAndre Hopkins yet, but it feels like that could still happen. They lost J.J. Watt to retirement. Byron Murphy's lost in free agency. Buda Baker wants out. Who knows if anything's going to happen on that front, too. They lost Zach Allen. This is a team that has been decimated by personnel losses. And, oh, by the way, they were one of the NFC's worst teams last year. And, oh, another thing, Kyler Murray might not be ready for the start of the season coming back from a torn ACL. It just feels like the Cardinals are in train wreck mode and they're going to be rebuilding for the next couple of years. They do have a ton of draft picks in 2024 to try to turn this thing around. But I have a feeling it's going to be another very difficult season in the desert. And as for the Rams, I can see the Rams being a playoff contender if Matthew Stafford's healthy, Aaron Donald's back. They've still got a lot of talent, but just look at some of the players they lost. They traded Jalen Ramsey to the Dolphins. They lost Allen Robinson, traded him away. Leonard Floyd is gone. Bobby Wagner's back in Seattle. This is a team that didn't have much depth. They did have a lot of draft picks. Maybe some of those guys contribute early, but it just feels like it's going to be difficult for them. They may be able to get into the playoff picture because of the veteran talent they still have, but I have questions about the depth and the lack of overall talent. A lot of new starters are going to be breaking in. I think it's going to be a transition year for them. And so those two teams, I just feel like they took a step back with what happened this offseason. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, I think that the Arizona Cardinals, you know, you just you, you think about the talent that they've lost in the defensive line the last couple of years. Uh, you, you mentioned Zach Allen, um, of course, wound up going to the Denver Broncos as a, a free agent. Um, you know, in the year of course, the year before, of course, they lost Chandler Jones. I mean, you lose those two players along your defensive line uh, in a division that has the young quarterback and the running back play that this one does. And yeah, I, I think it's it's very easy to imagine the Arizona Cardinals struggling 
this upcoming season. Uh, and then you mentioned Byron Murphy, obviously the corner, um, Buda Baker, the, the safety. Uh, you know, again, that, that entire defense is basically just kind of up in arms right now. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Arizona moving forward. The Rams, you, you took the words right out of my mouth in, in, in terms of just kind of the laundry list of players that they have lost here. Uh, you know, but I'll mention another one, one of those glue guys. And that, again, being another defensive lineman, great gains. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, Aaron Donald is obviously unbelievable player, but he can't do it all by himself. And, and Greg Gaines is one of those kind of guys that I think that, you know, played a very key role for the Rams. And so along with obviously the Jalen Ramsey's, the Allen Robinson's, the, you know, whoever the case might be, there's just so many Rams players that we've talked about that they lost. Poppy Wagner, obviously being a, a, a critical loss for the Rams. Um, I think that they are also are another team that, you know, maybe Matthew Stafford comes back. Maybe they're able to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit, but I think that they could struggle. I think that, um, that that's a club that is, you know, falling back down to earth a little bit. Finally, I'll, I'll mention one other club, and, and this is a club that is very much in a different spot um, than the Arizona Cardinals and Los Angeles Rams. And I would think that the Cincinnati Bengals are still, for a lot of people, going to very much be a Super Bowl favorite. I don't know if they are a favorite for me at this point. And I, that kind of surprises me saying that because I am in love with Joe Burrow's game. I just love the, the, the confidence, the accuracy with which he plays. I, I love their, the, the talent on that roster, but you know, Corbin, I, I look at the free agent losses that they had, um, you know, they lose both of their starting safeties. Jesse Bates, good player. Uh, Von Bell as well. Both of them are gone. Um, they, they bring on, they, they brought in an offensive tackle and that was obviously critical bringing in Orlando Brown, but at the same time, Orlando Brown himself has been a little bit up and down over his career. Uh, you know, retaining Jermaine Pratt was a big deal for me, but I still, I look at the Bengals as a team that is kind of just treading the water. And I felt like the exact opposite of the Philadelphia Eagles that felt like they just kind of are going full bore ahead to try to bring the Lombardi to Philadelphia. It felt like Cincinnati had their opportunity and now it feels like they are trying to replace some of the players they're going to have to uh, replace once the, the, the free agency dollars kind of come into effect. And so as excited as I'm about Cincinnati's upside, I do feel like they kind of are leveled off rather than ascending at this point. They are bracing for the fact that Joe Burrow's got a contract coming and so is Jamar Chase in two yep. years. And uh, they've also got another receiver as well in Higgins that's going to be looking for a payday. So that's part of the reason that their offseason went the way they did. But I would agree with you. I think they're still a contender in the AFC. They're still going to be a really tough team to beat, but don't feel like they necessarily did enough in their offseason to really take that next step forward to hang with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, teams like that. Exactly. And, the AFC. Coming up next, Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn is going to be joining us to break down Derek Hall's game on and off the field. Really excited to get some extra insight from a guy that knows the Tigers inside and out. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As we continue our Seahawks NFL Draft Roundtable here on the Locked On Podcast Network, thrilled to bring on Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn to break down Derek Hall, Seattle's second round selection, pass rusher known for his power. Thanks for joining the show, Zach. Greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to your insight here. 
Yeah, of course. Happy to be here and happy to get an excuse to talk about Derek a little bit more. I just want to talk about the personality first. We'll have plenty yeah. of opportunity to discuss the player and what he's bringing to Seattle, but getting the chance to interview him just moments after he received the call from John Schneider and Pete Carroll that he was coming to Seattle. I mean, he was talking about building trucks and doing like 18 events in track and field and super enthusiastic. You can see why this is a guy that teammates gravitated to at Auburn, and eventually he became a team captain, voted as a team captain for that reason. Yeah, and I imagine that vote was unanimous, Corbin, because, I mean, he is just beloved by everybody in that locker room and everybody throughout Auburn uh, University and its fan base. And over the course of his time here, kind of became the face of the program. He represented Auburn while he was at SEC Media Days, and he was kind of one of those guys that, went out and defended his former head coach, Brian Harson when there was kind of an uprising in the fan base against him. And he kind of said, hey, this is, you know, we got a band together and held the locker room together and was a leader of this roster and in this locker room and, and really the community. And so it doesn't surprise me that he won some folks over in his media availability since he's been drafted by the Seahawks. And he's going to continue to do just that because he's going to put the work in and he's also going to show – I bet, Corbin, a lot of love and a lot of uh, of an investment as far as, you know, putting time and effort into getting to know the people of Seattle and, and kind of playing for those people, too. That's just kind of the guy that Derek Hall is. The Seahawks talk all the time about grit. That is one of the key characteristics that they look for in draft prospects under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. And you look at the backstory for this kid, the fact that a week after he was born premature, the doctors were telling his mother, they were advising that they should take him off of life support. You want to talk about somebody that has overcome the odds mm -hmm. and is just oozing with grit. I don't know that there was a guy in this draft class that better fit that word than Derek Hall. Yeah, and he shows up every single day and you know never complains about anything, even though, let's be honest, his last two seasons at Auburn uh, it probably wasn't super fun to to kind of show up and be a part of that program with kind of the state of where things were kind of going through a different head coach and, and all of that. Um, but man, just a, just a guy that, that gets it and is willing to do the blue collar stuff and just show up every single day. And, you know, I think we could say all the cliche things that we want Corbin about, you know, guys that work hard, Derek Hall is going to fit all of those things. But, but also I, I think his attitude towards all of that, is infectious. I mean, I think you saw that throughout the defensive line room while at Auburn, and I think you saw it uh, certainly with the defense. And so just kind of seeing his ability now to, to rush the passer as well as kind of be able to stop the run consistently. I mean, I, I think all of that's grit, right, For from a guy that is able to do multiple things now that wasn't able to do that when he was a four-star coming out of Mississippi. We kind of thought he'd just be this kind of, off ball end that could rush the passer, but that grit, I mean, he's bulked up. He's gained a lot of weight. Now he looks the part. He looks the part. There's a video of both of us standing up next to each other doing an interview uh, in the senior bowl in mobile. And it's like, he, I'm having to like look straight up at the guy. I mean, he's just huge. He's just huge. And so, yeah, I, I think as far as the grit in regards to development, both physically and mentally, and just kind of understanding what it takes to achieve the things that he wants to achieve Corbin, there's a lot to like about uh, Derek Hall. 
This has become an annual thing on Seahawks.com. John Boyle does fantastic work, and he's got access to the draft room. A couple days after the draft, he always kicks out a behind-the-scenes article, and he indicated that the Seahawks had a first-round grade on Derek Hall, which I can tell you a lot of teams probably did not view him quite that high, but Seattle yeah. was enamored by his leadership just as much as his physical tools and his athleticism, the production that he had at Auburn. Do you think that this is the type of player that warranted that type of a grade and on the field away from just his leadership skills, yeah. what is he bringing? You mentioned that he is not the player that he was when he came as a four-star recruit, where has he improved the most? And how do you see that transitioning to being an impact player for the Seahawks on defense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as far as his character, I, I imagine every NFL team that spoke to him liked him. Right, I don't think that part's really. There's not a whole lot of gray area when looking at that aspect of Derek Hall. Yeah, but as far as on the field, I I would imagine scheme would have a lot to do with you know how much you would value Derek Hall because I do think there's some limitations to his game. If you're in a situation where you drop your outside linebackers and if that's what you want to play him as, I don't know if he can necessarily do that. Not because he doesn't have the ability, just because he hasn't really done that as far as his biggest improvement I think using his hands that's something that I, that he's talked about with me uh, on locked on Auburn a little bit using his hands because I think his first step's pretty solid I'm sure he's still going to work to get it better to so he can translate his game to the NFL but his hands I think is something that's been a big part of what he's been able to do you mentioned kind of known for that power rush I don't think that was always there I think he was kind of a out elude you early in his career, then kind of evolved into this full-fledged guy that can also be relevant in, in stopping the run and holding his own. And like I said, he's gained a ton of weight since he's been at Auburn. So I think just kind of the physicality of using his hands consistently, Corbin, and also just helping the defense when it comes to stopping the run in the SEC. What do you think are realistic expectations for him coming to the league? Because this is a guy that started for several years in yeah. the SEC from the tape that I've watched, I've seen some other draft guys that have said, we question his run defense. I'm not sure what they're watching in that regard because I see it, and Seattle was 30th in the NFL against the run, by the way. They were mm -hmm. awful against the run last year. They need anybody that can buck up and get the job done off the edge, keeping ball carriers at bay. But what do you think are realistic expectations? Because Seattle does have Uchenna Nuosu, Daryl Taylor, and they just drafted Boye Mafe a year ago in the second round. So there's some young talent in that group, but where does Derek Hall fit in your mind and what are realistic expectations for him out of the gate? Yeah, I, I would guess out of the gate without knowing the ins and outs of, you know, Seattle's scheme and, and what they like to do defensively. I, I would guess Corbin that he's going to be a situational pass rusher for maybe the first or second year of his time in the NFL until he kind of develops into, you know, what he needs to be, whether it's an off ball guy, if run defense is an actual concern, or maybe he needs to gain an extra 15 pounds and kind of generate more strength and leverage in the run game. But I expect him to come out and, and be a guy in second and long, third and long key passing situations and, you know, maybe get three or four sacks this season. That That's just kind of shooting from the hip. My gut reaction to that question, Corbin. I'm really interested to see what he looks like in this defense because yeah. Seattle moved to a hybrid 3-4 a year ago, which did require their outside linebackers to drop back into coverage a fair amount with those overhanging wide nines. 
but they also were sending those guys rushing the passer a lot. Mm-hmm. They were counting on him to defend the run. There's been some murmurs they might be going back to more of a 4-3 this year. Nothing's been said by the coaching staff to suggest that, but that does create some intrigue where he fits in because he might be a little too small to be a 4-3 defensive end, but he's the right size to be a 3-4 outside linebacker with limited experience doing some of the stuff that he'd be required to do. So excellent insight from Zach. Thanks for joining the show and best of luck to you this upcoming season. I know that you're looking forward to a fresh start for the Auburn Tigers. Yes, yes. We will miss Derek on the planes, but uh, but hopefully we find a pass rushing situation that can uh, somewhat copy what he did during his time here. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang and make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube as well as all other major podcast platforms to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Wednesday show, Rob and I will be taking a close look at Anthony Bradford, where he fits into Seattle's plans along the offensive line. And we will also be making some predictions for what's going to play out with the 2023 NFL schedule. Who would the Seahawks play first? How many primetime games are they playing? Should be a lot of fun. I hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning into this Tuesday episode. Go Hawks.